Welcome to Wildwood College Life of Wildwood Community Church in Norman, Oklahoma. We are four following Jesus together to the glory of God. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9.45 for Bible teaching, breakfast, and fellowship, and would love to see you there this week. Follow us on Instagram at Wildwood College for more information. And with that, let's dive into this week's message. Well, good morning, guys. Glad y'all are here. Uh, my name's Kevin Choke. Can you guys believe school starts, like, in a month? <laughs> Boo, get off the stage! Well, I'm excited, personally. I'm excited to meet all the freshmen, all the new people. It should be good. But glad you guys are here this morning. Uh, as Shanae said, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5 this morning. And uh, we're going to take a little break in 1 John. Uh, we had some flexibility uh, this earlier this summer that kind of allows us to have this this uh, little break and then we're going to finish it up next week okay so glad you guys are here this morning because we are going to be talking about something that I think is is pretty important pretty urgent it's not just something to casually talk about but something that should affect basically how we approach our lives how we view our lives if we've been saved by Jesus Christ um, we're a new creation and that has some serious indications for our lives today. And the problem that I really want to address this morning is the fact that raise your hand if you care about what people think. Yeah, yeah, we all do. We all care about what people think about us, right? And it's a reality that I think we all deal with from varying degrees, but the reality is that we care about what people think about us. And because we care what people think about us, it prevents us from truly living the way that Jesus has command us, commanded us to live, by trusting in him and obeying his commands. And so my goal today is that uh, despite our desire to care what others think about us, that we can be reminded that this world is not our home, that we're here temporarily, and that God has chosen to use us as his instruments of righteousness, as he calls us in Romans 6, to represent him and his will here on this earth. And we're going to see that through three ways, Okay. The first is that God has given us a spiritual passport. The second is that the love of God fuels our choices. And third, the destination is obedience. And the main idea this morning is that the Christian, by its nature and its relationship to the world, is an ambassador. Is an ambassador. Um, by show of hands, who knows what, what this is? Who has this? Does anybody have what this? Yeah, this is a passport. Does anyone, can anyone tell me what a passport is useful for? What's like the difference between this and a driver's license? You can go to other countries with a passport. You can't go to other countries with just a driver's license. A passport is an official document that says, issued by the government, that says who you are and what country you're from, what country you identify with, right? And it entitles the traveler to protection and all the rights that a citizen from that country might have. Essentially, it says who we're, uh, where we're from and who we identify with. For instance, this is my passport. If you open it up, you'll see freshman year of college, Kevin. Okay, yeah, look at there, that's Kevin, right? And it'll say that I'm from the United States of America. When I travel to other countries, whenever they stamp my passport, and let me in, they know that they are letting in an American citizen, right? My citizenship, because of this representation, this document, proves to the country that I'm entering that I am a citizen of the United States of America. 
But would you believe me if I told you that American wasn't my primary citizenship? That'd be crazy. You're thinking, Kevin, are you Canadian? <laughs> that it, I believe that, you know, this morning we have to remember that whatever nationality, whatever citizenship that we have, we have to believe that it's secondary to our primary citizenship. And if you've trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, your primary citizenship is not whatever country your passport's from. Okay? Your primary citizenship is in heaven. And that's the truth that I want to realize uh, this morning. The foundational truth is that we are given a spiritual passport. And that's what Paul says in Philippians 3.20, okay? When he's talking to the Philippians, he wants them to recognize what is their home. And he says in verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from them there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is Paul saying here when he says that our citizenship is is in heaven. Well, the simple reality is that the world in which we live, or even the United States, is not our home. We could even describe, our, describe ourselves as strangers and aliens in the United States. And if we did, we wouldn't be the first people to say that. In fact, the Apostle Peter says so in, uh, I believe it's 1 Peter 2.11. Yeah, 1 Peter 2.11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Here Peter echoes what Paul just said, right? And it's this idea of where we are placing our identity. And I want to do a quick test to see and evaluate where we all would place our identity in. If someone were to ask you, where is your identity founded? Or who are you? What would be the first thing that you would say? Would it be in your schoolwork, your academics? Would it be in your job? Would it be in the fact that I'm a chote, right? My family, would that be your first indicator of identity? Would it be your talents, abilities, your athleticism? Where would you place your identity? Well, Peter and Paul are telling us something here about Christian identity, about Christian our identity. And it's this idea that we identify not with this world, but we identify with Christ. We identify not with this world, but we identify with Christ. Even when we look at, the bapti at baptism, which is a symbol of identifying with Jesus' Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, that we are raised to new life, right? We're a new creation. And, and our identity is in Christ. And this is important because if we look at the world, the world identifies in Adam or in sin. Okay, this is something that you read in scripture is that if you are not in Christ, you are in Adam or you're identifying with the sinful, sinful world. And that's the reality that I want to hit home is that Christians should not blend in with the world or look like the world. And that is okay. That is okay. We're supposed to be different right? We're strangers and aliens after all. We should look different. So that begs the question, if this is not our home, what is? What is the Christian's home? Well, our home is secured in heaven. 
Each day is closer to our final home for those who have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of sin. And if you've been in college life, you've heard uh, me say this before, but Christians who uh, are saved from their sin, if you've ever heard that phrase, we often think of being saved from the penalty of sin, of not having to go to hell, right? Getting to go to heaven. But we're also saved from the power of sin in this life in which we have the Holy Spirit within us that allows us to fight day-to-day sin, that allows us to live in holiness, But the third reality of being saved from your sin is that you are saved from the presence of your sin. That one day you will no longer be affected by your personal sin or the effects of sin. And this is what Mark has kind of been talking about, Pastor Mark, in his Revelation series in Revelation 21.4, right? Revelation 21.4 says, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Revelation 21.4. This is the hope that we have as a citizen of heaven. And And living as a citizen of heaven is living in the reality that your home, your future home is secured. So you can live as a representative here and now today as someone who knows that their home is secured, that one day they will be saved from the presence of sin. Guys, if you read this and you don't get from it that God loves you so much, remember that. Realize that, that God loves us so much that one day there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. That is good news. That is exciting. That is a reality of the gospel, is that if you've trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of sin, if you've repented from your old life and are following Jesus, this is a reality for you. This is a reality for you. And so you might be thinking, what is the importance of this? What is the importance of this? Well, if we're given a spiritual passport in this broken world, he is our only hope. Jesus Christ is our only hope. And that love that God demonstrates for us is what fuels and motivates the Christian and it fuels their choices today. And that's really what Paul is going to be talking about. And so you might be thinking, Kevin, what is the big deal about being a citizen in heaven? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to answer the question for you, okay? Well, the love of God fuels their choices, okay? The love of God fuels their choices. And that's what he talks about in 2 Corinthians 5.13. So read with me, 2 Corinthians 5.13. And I'm going to read the first few verses, 13 through 15. He says, If we are out of our mind, or crazy, as some say, it's for God. If we are in our right mind, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. The way that we live is not based on cultural uh, cultural expectations, but scriptural commands. The way that we live is not based on cultural expectations or what people expect from us, but scriptural commands. Our obedience is not based on how do we fit in. Our obedience is how do I follow Jesus? See the difference? And verse 13 shows that because of this reality, if we are choosing to obey God rather than to please people, then people will think we're crazy. People will think we're out of our minds. And that's why we can't blend in. If you are following Christ, you cannot blend in. 
If you are following Christ, you cannot blend in. But that's the problem with wanting people to like us. The problem of social media is that it's all about blending in. It's all about fitting the stereotype, fitting the thing so that people don't look at us and say, what's wrong with them? But instead they celebrate um, what is right with them based on what the world would say. But if we're following Christ, then we should stick out like a sore thumb. Running the race that Christ has set before us is marked by obedience to his commands. Obedience to his commands, not blending in the world. And so if you were to ask your friends today, how would they describe you? Would they describe you as someone who follows Jesus or someone who blends in? says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one, Jesus Christ, died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And notice here, what's the motivation for the citizen of heaven? It's Christ's love, right? It says Christ's love compels us. The way we live is motivated by Jesus' example of death, even death on a cross, right? It's this sacrificial love that marks the Christian life, and it teaches us how to live. We want to know, how do I love? Look at Jesus. How do I love? Look at Jesus. How do I live? Look at Jesus, Reminding ourselves of the example of Christ shows us the way in which we should live. And what's the result of Christ's sacrificial death, right? Well, if we've trusted in Jesus Christ, we are totally different. If we've trusted in Jesus Christ, then he has changed us. If we're following Christ, he has given us the power to live in a new way. And that's what he means in verse 15, right? In that in Christ, when he says, therefore all died, therefore in Christ, we live differently. We are totally different from our own old self. See, Christ's death was not only a substitutionary death in the sense that he died on our behalf, but it was a representative one in the fact that it was an example of how we should live. Not only was it substitutionary, but it was representative exemplified the way in which a citizen of heaven should live with sacrifice, with sacrifice. No longer do we, as it says, live for themselves, but we live for him. We don't live for ourselves, we live for him. Our motivation and response to salvation is to live for him. But I want to talk about uh, obedience real quick. And I, I, I've been rereading the Harry Potter books. Love them. So good. And I just want to know, have you guys ever had like an authoritative, rude, mean authority figure in your life? It's pretty hard to listen to them, right? So that's kind of who Severus Snape is, right? Severus Snape, evil, mean, all these things. I mean, this man was cruel, right? absolutely hated Harry, okay? He hated him, and he still expected Harry to do every little thing that he said. Now, Harry should have because he was his professor, but it was extremely difficult because he knew that Snape hated his guts, right? He knew that Snape hated him, and so it was hard because it, it never felt like it had Harry's best interest in mind. 
Now, on the other hand, you have that compared with Headmaster Albus Dumbledore, okay? And this guy was someone who exemplified in the books and the movies that he loved Harry, that he cared about Harry's well-being. He asked him how he was doing. He gave him thoughtful advice. He always showed him uh, that Harry, like to Harry, that he believed in him even when others didn't. And so whenever it came to Harry's loyalty, whenever it came to listening to what Dumbledore said, he was quick to listen and obey whatever Dumbledore told him to do. Now the question is why? What is the difference? Well, he, he, he never wavered from listening to Dumbledore because he knew Dumbledore loved him. And the same is true when we obey God. We obey God not only because he is God, but we're motivated in response to his love to obey him. In response to his love, we want to obey him. Our Heavenly Father, we obey him in response and we're motivated by the love that he has first shown us. And that is really the focus of the citizen of heaven, is to obey God in response to the love he's already demonstrated for us. So I want to continue this in 2 Corinthians verses 16 through 21. If you'll follow along with me, it says this in verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed or assigned to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So off the heels from this, the previous part of this passage, Paul continues his argument for Christian living in a world that's not our own. He helps us understand, verse 16, the way in which we should view others around us, right? What does he say? So from now on, we re regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. And really what this is about is restoring the dignity that everyone has around us. Their value is not based on what they can do for us, how attractive they are, how talented they are, but their value is based solely on the fact that we do not view them from a worldly perspective, but we view them as someone who is created in the image of God. They have intrinsic value because of how they were created. And so we look at those around us and we say, these people matter to God, therefore they matter to us. These people matter to God, therefore they matter to us. And this is important for us to understand as we're about to talk about the ministry of reconciliation, because if we don't get this, then we won't be motivated to share this message of reconciliation with them. The truth is that those around us matter. We no longer look at them from a human perspective that they're going to live a life and die and it all be over. But everyone that we interact with has an eternity, has an eternal destination, and if God has committed to us the message of reconciliation, what is our job? See, per, putting our faith in Christ fundamentally changes you. 
We're no longer who we were. We are completely different. And that's what Paul's getting at in verse 17. You guys probably have heard this before, but the old has gone. The new is here. The spiritual reality of putting your faith in Christ is no longer do you just merely identify with Christ, but you are completely different. You are a new species in a way. In other words, there is a BC version of you and me if you've trusted in Christ. There is a before Christ Kevin Choate that is different than the after Christ Kevin Choate. There is someone who used to be and there is someone who now is. And that is all because of the Holy Spirit that regenerates or uh, renews, creates in us a new person. See, think of it this way. Paul not not only had a changed viewpoint, but whenever a person experiences a true conversion, he or she really becomes a new person. Uh, Constable, he describes kind of the reality, the continuity and discontinuity that exists. I just want to read it for you. He says, obviously, there is both continuity and discontinuity that takes place at conversion or when you become a Christian. Paul was not denying this continuity. We still have the same physical features. I didn't lose all these weight, this weight, right, when I became a Christian. Uh, I still have the basic personality. I'm still a goofball, right? I'm still goofy and uh, I try to be funny. I still have the genetic constitution. My, same, my parents are still the same. It's still Kent and Carmen Choate. Oh yeah, parents. uh, Still have the same susceptibility to temptation. Those don't go away. Sinful environment, etc. These things don't change. He was stressing the elements of discontinuity. Perspectives, prejudices, misconceptions, enslavements. God adds many new things at conversion, including new spiritual life, the Holy Spirit, forgiveness, the righteousness of Christ, as well as new viewpoints. And that's what he talks about. And this reality plays out in verses 18 through 19. He says that all this is from God, this new creation. It's from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. So after defining that salvation results in complete transformation, Paul takes a moment to discuss the role of a transformed person. What is the role of that new creation? What is the role of the transformed person? Well, because Jesus Christ has died on the cross, he has reconciled or resolved the conflict between God and mankind. Because of Christ's death on the cross, all of mankind is in a savable condition. In other words, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone can be saved, can be restored back to God because of Christ's death on the cross. This is what it means when it means that God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. The way to God is there and available to anyone who believes. So reconciliation is this idea of removing the barrier to our salvation. Christ has removed the barrier. We cannot receive, uh, we cannot be uh, saved on our own merit. We cannot be saved on our own uh, hard work or effort. We cannot be righteous on our own. It is only through 
Jesus Christ's death on the cross that we can be saved. So what is the response for those of us who have been reconciled, those of us who have been saved, even, even more so justified before God? Well, in verse 19, it says that God has committed to us the, mini- uh, the ministry of reconciliation. There is a priority in the gospel. There is a priority in the gospel. But more than that, more than there being a priority to the gospel, there is a responsibility that God has chosen to give you and me to share this message. There is a responsibility that we have to share this message. God has chosen to assign us this task. And that's the destination for the citizen of heaven. The destination is obedience. The destination is obedience. One example is that we can get so caught up in our own persuasive ability, we can get so caught up in the barriers that prevent us from sharing what God has done in our life through Jesus Christ that we think we are unqualified to share the gospel. We think that we can't do it because we can't answer every question, because we don't know all of the answers, because we haven't read every single verse in the Bible. But here's the reality. If you've been saved, if you have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, you know enough to share the gospel. You know enough to share what God has done in your own life. Only God can save, but he has assigned us the responsibility of sharing that saving message. So all we are are vessels. All we are are ambassadors. All we are are representatives of the one who can save. And what is the citizen of heaven's title in this role of sharing this message? Well, he tells us, verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal, what? Through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So the question is, what's an ambassador? An ambassador is an accredited diplomat sent by a country as its official representative to a foreign country. So we've already determined that our citizenship is in heaven, that we are strangers and aliens in this world. So we can conclude that as ambassadors, we are representing not this world's interests, but Christ's interests. Again, it's not our interests. It's not the world's interests. Our life is not about building our kingdom. Our life is not building our brand. Our life is not about creating content for views on our page. Our life is to be Christ's ambassadors, representatives for Christ, building his kingdom. Do you see the difference there? What the world tells you is it's all about your life all about your satisfaction, all about your desires. But an ambassador goes to a foreign country not to get all the things to elevate their status, not to uh, be like, okay, what am I going to do when I go to Egypt? Oh, I'm going to see the pyramids. I'm going to, you know, get all the things to bring home to my family. No, their role in which they, when they're there is to represent their home country's interests to the Egyptian government, right? So if we're Christ's ambassadors, think about what your responsibility and role is in this life. Your number one priority at the University of Oklahoma or wherever you go to school is not to get a degree. Your number one responsibility 
at the University of, of Oklahoma or whatever school you go to is to be Christ's ambassador. It's to be Christ's ambassador. We can elevate all these secondary and tertiary responsibilities over the one thing that has eternal significance. Your degree does not save other people. The gospel, the message of reconciliation, saves other people. Their life changes from that. Their life doesn't change by you focusing only on yourself and what you want, right? This is what gives the Christian life significance and meaning is that we are living a life that is not for our own, but for eternity, for the rest of time, bringing glory and honor and praise to God. And the ambassador's role is kind of like that of a herald, okay? And a herald in medieval times is often someone the king would send on his behalf to another kingdom. And the herald had a lot of significance in this time period. But if you look at the herald, there was nothing special about his bloodline. There was nothing special about his position. There was nothing special about who he was. But what was special about him was the message that he carried. That the other king of another uh, country would listen to this person, not because he was special, but because his message was special. Because when he spoke, he spoke with the force of the king's own speech. And as ambassadors, we are not special because of who we are, but we're special because of the message we carry. The message is special. And we have to treat our life as if we're carrying something valuable and special. And if we believe, if we believe that everyone has value, everyone is important, that we look at them with heavenly eyes, then the message that we share with them is an act of showing that they are spiritual people. We realize that they have spiritual significance, not just a human perspective, but a spiritual perspective. And guys, our role isn't something that's passive. It's not something that's passive. But in fact, verse 20 says, as though God were making his appeal through us. The message that Jesus Christ died on the cross on the behalf of sinners so that they might be reconciled to God is not a message that can be shared by being nice to someone. It is an explicit message that has to be told with words. It is verified by our conduct, but the content is verbal. The content of the gospel is verbal, and it has to be reinforced by our conduct but our conduct is not a substitution for the content of the gospel. And this is the reality. This is the reality. Sometimes people need a Jesus with skin. If God is making his appeal through us, sometimes people need a Jesus with skin. See, the message of reconciliation, what is it? It defines it in verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As we identify with God, as, sorry, as we identify with Christ, he identifies with our sin. In other words, Jesus took on the curse of sin, which is death. And he did this so that we might be able to identify with his righteousness. The beauty of the gospel is the twin message of grace and mercy. We were spared the wrath that we deserved and were given Christ's righteousness. <laughs> it's 
crazy. It's crazy. That is good news that is worth sharing. That is good news that is worth sharing. And it's nothing short of a miracle. See, as Christ's ambassadors, God has given each of you a spiritual passport. And you are to be fueled by his love to obey his commands. And what is his command for us? To share the message of reconciliation. I hope that you guys can do that as we head into this school year to be reminded that your number one priority is not getting a degree, is not becoming whatever, fill in the blank, but is to share the message of reconciliation. Reconciliation.